Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into part two of the WEEI Celtics podcast. we got a double header for you, just like the great Ernie Banks. We'll play two. We're going to be joined by Jake Fisher. From SI.com, he covers the NBA for them, and then he also covers the Sixers for Liberty Ballers, the SB Nation blog. With Sam Hinkie resigning, that's the big news around the league, we thought Jake would be the go-to person to talk to, as he's definitely one of the people who has the kind of the pulse on the Sixers. As you can see in his post today, he's had a sit-down meeting or two with the strange man, Mr. Hinkie himself. Before we go to the Jake, we got to tell you about where you can find the show. iTunes, Stitcher, WEEI.com. Yo mama's house. I mean, only on Wednesdays. But we're also on the CLNS Radio mobile app, which you can find on iOS and Android. It's got tons of content, all the content from the CLNS podcast world, including the show, of course. And it also has bonus content connecting you to the Garden Report, the post game, the video postgame show that I film often with Samuel Packard over here after every single Celtics home game from... From the TD Garden. So now let's talk to Jake. Jake Fisher, what happened to the process? Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> All right, pretty, pretty blunt. Um, That's what we do it here. What happened to the process is, I mean, there's plenty of unknown reasoning what got to this point, but essentially the ownership group got fed up with, and they lost their patience that had seemed to be a, been a virtue for them um, and they did not have confidence in Sam Hinkie as he wrote near the top of his letter he felt he no longer had the confidence in the ownership group to deliver this franchise from the rebuild into phase two which was this summer I mean this summer was always going to be the year the team made not that they were going to push all their chips in the middle of the table, but they were going to make improvements in free agency and really try to take a leap into moving this franchise forward. That's why Brett Brown asked for a fourth year in his contract. He wanted to be here for here. Excuse me. He wanted to be in Philadelphia for the twenty seventeen for the twenty sixteen seventeen season. So it just comes down to the fact that the ownership group somehow, some way, maybe it was Jared Colangelo, blah 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 blah. Somehow, some way, they no longer believed Sam Hinkie was the guy to move the, to the franchise from phase one to phase two. They wanted to bring in additional help. I confirmed with a Sixers source um, after it was widely reported that the team was interviewing candidates and wanted to bring in Brian Colangelo as a compliment to Sam Hinkie not to serve him. And Hinkie didn't want to be in essentially uh, a troika um, leading the charge. He wanted to be the guy. That's when he accepted the job when he took it. And he stepped out. 
Now, do you see this as a kind of failure of vision or a failure of personality? Because the way I see it, the process and the kind of idea behind tanking and trying to go for a superstar and trying to accumulate draft picks, I still think is a good one. If I'm playing NBA 2K, which I've been known to play, that's kind of the strategy you use to kind of rebuild. There's, I don't think the th- thought process behind it, I just think it was a kind of failure in execution. In, um, I know you've had um, many conversations with Sam Hinkey. Uh How do you gauge his personality and his uh, ability to kind of run the kind of face-to-face aspect of being a general manager? Well, one thing I can say is, um, and I, I talked to you guys about this, I, I've been working on a story about the Sixers, uh, their corporate culture and their sales staff. Uh, it's pretty much one big happy family over there. Um, that was not emulated over on the basketball operations. Um, even though Sam Hinkie is an extremely cordial, polite, um, inviting person to have conversations with like I wrote on Liberty Ballers today, I was a twenty-one year I was a twenty-year-old kid, and he took me out to dinner one night down in the Orlando Summer League in twenty fourteen, and we had over an hour talk about basketball, about team building, about philosophies, about all kinds of stuff about the NBA. But he's not one to he's not he's not Bob Myers of the Golden State Warriors. He's going to jump on any podcast, be on panels that alone, accept uh, every interview request that comes through his door, because he is an extremely intelligent guy, and one of his philosophies was, any chance I am talking to someone I, who I do not have my complete 100% trust in, who's in my brain force, who or is in my brain trust, who's in my close group of advisors, anything I say could be in danger of being leaked to the rest of the league, and I can lose a competitive advantage. You see how just like it's been reported by Yahoo Sports that Terry Colangelo leaked his resignation letter out to ESPN. It wasn't Sam Hinkie who did it. So that kind of close vestedness, um, the way he approached everything meticulously, kind of rubbed people the wrong way in that in the basketball operations and ownership. But I mean, in terms of personality, the guy was a mensch. He was a really, really nice guy. Um, always receptive to people walking up to him. I mean, I, I was I went back, I'm from Philly, for those who don't know, I, I went back in February, and he was down on the court, and I said, I, I said hello to him, and he asked me how Boston was, and I talked to him less than, I, I can't count it on three hands, like in person. And he he remembered exactly where I lived, what I, what I what I was what I was up to. Um, really nice guy, but at the same time, his communication strategy, the way that I mean that the, the letter is a pretty good example of that. How it wasn't very congruent with how people wanted to be communicated with in that organization and kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. You're saying people don't like communication by manifesto? That's not something people how to like operating business that way? Um, I don't agree. I don't think so, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that, that manifesto was such a bizarre occurrence, and, but it seemed to really epitomize the issue surrounding Hinky, which is that he was taking this huge gamble that is obviously puts a lot on the line for 
not just his team, but for the NBA, because this, I mean, the way that he was approaching team building was because they were calling for reform in the NBA. I mean, it's been a huge topic with a lot on the line and his ability to sell it and sell himself has been a major issue. He doesn't make people feel comfortable, at least in the when he's appearing publicly, he doesn't make people feel comfortable that he's someone that they can confide in, that they can like really trust because he seems to present a bit of a holier than thou attitude or a bit of a an almost god complex with the it's he projects that he knows that he's smarter than pretty much everybody in the room and he tries to kind of talk down to you almost and this is of course speaking from just the way he's kind of interacted publicly and you look at this yep. manifesto he's written where he's throwing in he's throwing in quotes left and right that don't even really connect and don't even really make sense it's kind of like a way of trying to show that he knows a lot of quotes and is a very well read and smart human being yeah I mean, he absolutely knows he's the smartest man in the room but one thing that I always gave him credit for is because he recognized that he knew that, and since he was so smart, he knew that he needed to talk to as many people as possible to, to get their opinions. Um, but he didn't necessarily construe his thoughts in layman's terms sometimes to people that, like you said, um, didn't, didn't rub off on people right away. And when you're only talking to the media twice a year, that's going to rub the media the wrong way. And a lot of times for fans, they get the, the imp- fans don't have the access to talk to Sam Hinkie and they're going to get their opinions of him and the front office and his public image is going to be sh- shaped by those people who are getting burned and, and not allowed to talk to him on the record. I think the so major, the- Oh, sorry to cut you off, but I, I just no, had, a hot, I had a hot take. It's definitely complicated. It had to come out. I think the major issue is is that he is a terrible communicator that way, but then he also chose a strategy in which he was going to lose as many games as possible. We see in this town, Bill Belichick is not very media-friendly, and the same people say behind closed doors, um, everyone loves talking to Bill Belichick. He's the same guy, but then he kind of has this rigidity to him where he in the media he's just like any press conference after a Patriots loss and if Belichick is angry is gold because he basically just – shits on the media, just like slaps them in the face. And that's high comedy in my place. But why, with choosing a losing strategy or a strategy where there's like so much to question and there's this culture of losing, that's kind of like the biggest oversight because you can do one or you can do the other, but the combination of both really made it so there's no, there's no way Hinky could come out of this as a winner. Yeah, it's the fact that he wasn't willing to speak to people and kind of um, diagnose what was happening. Ended up hurting him in the long run. I totally understand both sides. He wrote in, the, in his manifesto that because he spoke to reporters after the draft on draft night in 2013, he lost Robert Covington to the Rockets. And, and fittingly enough, he didn't speak to the media again that entire year until the trade deadline. And I, I just think that's a pretty uh, linear turn of events uh, from his perspective. But on the other side, I totally understand why it would have been easier for people to digest what was happening if he was talking about it. And to me, the bottom line is ownership, since they bought the team in 2012, uh, maybe it was 2011, 
um, yeah, it was 2011 because it was the, it was the, the end of the Doug Collins era where they had bought the team to right when the, the Sixers took the Celtics to seven games in the semifinals. Um, but they, but the ownership realized that the team got there by luck. They got there with the Bulls getting ravaged by injuries. People say, "Oh, there's there a game. They were a couple possessions away from being in the conference finals." We all know that Celtics team was was stratospherically better than, than that Sixers team. The fact that it went seven games was mind-boggling to me. I'm sure it is to you guys on the other end. And they they needed to they knew they needed to be risky. They did not want to be. The ownership did not want to be in that eight seed again. They wanted to be where the Celtics were all those years. They wanted to be where the Warriors and Spurs are right now. They wanted to contend for championships. So they made the Andrew Bynum trade, and it was a risk. Hiring Hinky after the Bynum trade backfired, and go and embracing his radical mentality was a risk. It was bold, and it was and just the, the baldiness and the boldness of that. And and those and that track record was it was impressive to see a, an ownership group do something like that, and I think and and that gave Hinky the agency to kind of go about things his own way because he had an ownership group that was going about things his own way, but somewhere between opening night this season and the day they announced Terry Colangelo in December as chairman of basketball operations, that kind of the the, the flip the switch flipped. And um, the ownership wasn't having it anymore. They wanted to. I, I think there's a couple things. I think they either got pressure from the league. I'm sure all these millionaire and billionaire owners in New York City were getting were getting clowned on by their rich friends, saying their team's an embarrassment. Um, I'm sure there are numerous factors that led into them thinking, well, maybe Hinky's not the guy to do this, and. I think it could have worked at bringing in another figure. The fact that it was Jerry Colangelo was the downfall because everything we've heard about him, things I've heard off the record, things I've heard on the record, Colangelo did not want to coexist with Hinky, And it ultimately ended up becoming coming down to one of those two guys. Hinky saw the writing on the wall and he bolted. If that's, if, I mean, Colangelo wasn't... He's been retired for half a decade. No one was was fighting to get his services around the league. So the fact that it ended up being Colangelo over Hinky from the start, we, we all should have known in hindsight. Hindsight, obviously, 2020, we all should have known from the jump that it was going to be Colangelo in the end. A lot of people did say that. A lot of people in Philly wrote that. Well, that's when Hinky probably started writing his manifesto because to have that many sor- uh, sources and footnotes, you think you'd probably have a – it feel, doesn't feel like he just uh, wrote that last night. I don't know, man. That guy, <laughs> I wouldn't – I wouldn't be surprised if it's because he, he did a low post podcast in New York on Tuesday, right? Yeah. And he said, I, I was in the city and I, I saw him here to let's, let's talk. And it had, looking back, it had a very similar tone to the to the letter he wrote. I wouldn't be surprised because, the like, I'm, I'm, I know this, I'm not sure your listeners know this, the search of the ownership group is primarily based in New York. He would go at least every quarter of the year. Um, maybe even more to New York to visit the ownership groups and, and and have board meetings and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if he had one final board meeting on Tuesday, and he knew I'm done with this, and he wrote it that night. I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised. He is 
honestly that smart, that capable. I mean, forget how insane it was to to put all those references in. The fact that he can speak about all those different topics inside a letter about basketball is just, it's a mind-boggling look behind the curtain into just, honestly, a magnificent mind. Forget the legitimacy of his of his plan and the success or failure of it. No one can deny that that guy, after reading that letter, is just a brilliant mind. But the way we reference the letter also kind of tells you about uh, the perception of him around the league because if he was uh, well-liked, people would just call this a resignation letter. But the fact that we immediately jumped to manifesto uh, immediately makes you think like a serial killer or like a Ted Kaczynski type. And that was the immediate thing is like, Hinky has released a manifesto. It's 13 pages long, and he's the, the craziest person in the world. And what did you say earlier, Jared, about whoa, what it sounded like, his letter, when you first read it? Oh, it sounded like he drank a bottle of scotch and then snorted a bag of cocaine just so he could get up to write this on a typewriter where he couldn't delete a single <laughs> sentence. Because I mean, it really reads to me like he wrote it in one sitting where he just he kept writing and then thought, okay, what's a quote I want to throw in here? Oh, how about this one? And then threw it in. I mean, he, he quoted a doctor from Brigham, for God's sakes. I mean, he really... Like he, po- like he popped uh, the limitless pill. <laughs> and used it for the best thing possible to write a resignation letter. I would He'll like... probably be senator by the end of the movie. I don't think he... I truly don't think he intended to, for that letter to, to reach the public eye. I know a lot of people think he think it did. I mean, the, the Twitter plug at the end is very interesting because why would if he gave his phone number why would he and these guys are middle-aged hedge fund guys why would they need to follow his twitter account that's like what people are referencing where he knew it would go public it's just i think that's the the funniest thing i've ever seen my my biggest takeaway my biggest takeaway i tweeted this out last night the whole thing had a crescendoing central theme of look at all this work i did even though you don't think i'm capable of moving this into the next step, please don't fuck up everything I built. That that to me that that was my big takeaway from that. And it's the the whole the whole structure of it. Look at look at the assets I built. Look at look at the strategy I used to get here. It was it it was dangerous, it was risky, but in terms of sheer asset collection and build and opening flexibility, I did a rock solid job with this, and even if you don't think I'm capable of from here building a true contender, and you want to hand it over to the Calangelos, please don't fuck up what I did. The letter was a five thousand word synonym for trust the process. I mean he he basically he basically said, "Listen, we decided to go embark on this three to four year journey to try to build a team that we know will compete for a title. That's because this franchise has gone through basically a decade of ebbing and flowing between." two-year rebuilds going up to being good enough to make the second round and then having to break it all down again and looking around and seeing so many teams in the league doing that. And they decided, they committed together, we're going to spend a little extra time going through significant pain and loss so that we can build up a team that we know will be absolutely great. And frankly, they have enough assets and talent already in the bag that 
there's no doubt that they can do that, and the process can still win out very strongly. That's the crazy thing is the process was working, and next year they should get Embiid back. They might get Saric, and they might have four first-round draft picks. And all the cap space in the world. All the cap space in the world, a decent role players that they've like kind of managed from second-round picks. Like This team does have potential moving forward. I think that's another part of his letter was just like, I better get some credit when this team turns out well. Yeah, essentially, don't ruin what I did because if you do, my legacy is going to be ultimately in, ultimately attached to whatever and however you guys go from here. And my next job will be that uh, based on however things go from here because if they if they start turning things around, he's going to get another GM job before next season starts. All right, I'm gonna speaking. Of, so I want to I want to I'm gonna flip the the podcast around here. Ooh. You got you you guys are. are uh, Sam the self-proclaimed Sam, Jared. I don't know how, where you stand right now. You guys are Celtics writers, so I won't call you Sam. I don't even write that if, often, but okay. If the, if the, well, Sam, I, I know you're saying you're a fan. I don't know if Jared. Yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up a fan, but I'm, I'm 100 percent objective at this point. I think. Um, yeah, if that's how I feel about Philly. Um, if if Danny Ainge announced on tomorrow that the Sixers or that the Celtics are bringing on Sam Hinkie as the director of analytics. I mean, do you think he's hireable right now? I I think that would be the greatest move, one of the best moves that Danny Ainge has made in the last decade, if he's able to do that. I'm not saying, yeah, for full full disclosure, I don't think this is happening. I don't. No, I I, I know. Yeah, I I I asked around a little bit and didn't get any indication that was happening. But uh, there's there's I mean, after everything we've said just now, wouldn't it's not if Hinky is basically. I mean, the thing is, Mike Zarin. The assistant GM is mm-hmm. so so highly regarded by every single person in the NBA that he's got he's he's probably going to get a lot of job interviews this summer for a GM job. So that position might be open, and I think there's no question you would hire Hinky because I think his his basketball his, his acumen for scouting has been great so far. I mean, that's that's too strong, but he's been good so far. Um, I think pretty much everything he's done has been in the right vein and has been the right move. But a lot of the flaws we talked about are kind of covered up by the fact that he's not the GM. He works under Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is the GM, and he doesn't have the responsibility of managing public perception, of of representing the team in trade negotiations and free agent negotiations. I would think. I think it would be. I think he's the top target for this front office right now. Yeah, I, just, I, I just don't see the point in doing it. If, I, I understand if Zarin leaves, but it seems like this guy's a. I don't know, it's an outsider perspective, but it seems like a kind of a lone wolf type character. And you said earlier that he does a good job of kind of getting other people's perspectives, but it seems like the type of person who would, one, want his own job. And then, two, it's not like we talk about this crazy strategy like he's some sort of wizard who was like the only one to think of tanking. Like, there's plenty <laughs> of smart people in there. I mean, the Celtics like just did it two years ago. I mean, they've been tanking for. The Lakers are doing it now. I mean, yeah, it's, so it's, it's not an invention. There's plenty of smart and capable people in the NBA and in the Celtics organization. I just don't know what they like. I'm sure Sam Hinkie is very, very smart, and I'm sure they would be happy to have him on the team. But there's no need to run out and sign Sam Hinkie right now. He's just he's a jag. He's just another smart guy. Like I think the NBA is filled with pretty intelligent people, and that's a change from past like the last ten years where. They're still kind of like the older franchises operating an older model, but I think now everyone's kind of pro business and using analytics and stuff like that. So I don't know what Hinky's value is compared to the rest of the league. Yeah, the reason why I ask this is because talking to random people on, around the league, agents, players, executives, whatever, 
Um, it's pretty much split. I mean, I talked to a couple people who said, I mean, that guy, 13 pages? That guy's a lunatic. He can't be hired again to 13 pages to show how brilliant he is. The Sixers are kind of going to be screwed. Like, you can't totally reverse course and, and be successful. So, to me, it's just fascinating how divisive of a, a figure he has been in, in the league. Um, and I think that this, that fact alone, how you're pretty, where you stand on him is pretty much on the polar ends of the spectrum, just goes to show that what he did and his plan, uh, its face value was fascinating, and the NBA is built on a backbone of entertainment, and definitely can't deny that what the Sixers were were certainly even not on the court, but in terms of just experimental value and a thought process and a think tank, for NBA nerds out there, it was absolutely fascinating to kind of digest on a daily basis, and going forward it will be even more fascinating, I hope, if it's um, if it's not equally as entertaining to see where they go from here. That would be a big uh, misfortune to the fans that stuck through the last couple of years. But um, they're in the position now where the last three years they have been one of the most um, in the news. They've honestly been one of the most high-profile teams in the NBA. And I think he was responsible for that, so you got to at least give him that. I mean, they're a they're a high market share team. They're in a major city. They've always and they're in a major sports city. They've always been a major center of attention for the NBA. And the fact that they can lose and still be that is incredible. It's a real testament to just how how I guess unique and innovative and memorable Hinky's process was. I I think his his experience in Philly, although it definitely had a different outcome, is very analogous to Mike D'Antoni in Phoenix, where obviously D'Antoni got really close, and if it weren't for Robert Ory, they probably would have won a, won one title. But they were doing something that became kind of the the standard model, which he even referenced in the letter. And I think he's looking at himself as kind of the you know the pioneer the first one to really go for this model, and it's going to become more of the future as we go forward. Isn't that ironic that his replacement is most of that Phoenix Suns staff, and <laughs> um, Mike D'Antoni might be the coach of the 76ers next year. And that's something I wanted to ask you about, Jake, is where do you see this team moving uh, forward? Because Brian Colangelo comes in, and I'm assuming he generally knows what he's doing. There's, there's not like – I don't see them going out and signing a bunch of high-name free agents just because I don't think they're going to be able to get them so then they're operating from a place where they have a bunch of draft assets and young players. I don't see, like, they're still going to have to use those draft picks and build a young core and try to hit on a superstar. I don't know how drastically they change the path. What do you think the, the new Colangelo team is going to do with the team now? I mean, what hasn't changed is the draft lottery on May 17th is absolutely vital for the state and the future of this franchise. I mean, there's a very real scenario scenario where they only end up with the fourth pick in the draft, whereas they could have the first and fourth pick in the draft, which is and they have so, that they so have that fourth pick because Sam Hinkie traded away MCW, realizing he was a trash player, and got that uh, that pick back from the I think it was the Suns from the, via the Lakers. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, right now, lottery night is going to determine whether this team has a chance to either. Decide between Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons, or they're going to come away with maybe only one of 
bloody heel that Chris done. That's like that. It's it goes without saying that it's a dramatic differential between possible additions to your franchise. So that that stays the same. But then going forward after that, I think in free agency you were going to see them be more reckless than they would have been. They were definitely going to spend money this summer. Um, they have to. They're going to have $50 million in cap room. Um, but I think they're, go- but the- they're going to be offering those head-scratching contracts to some people, I think. Now, I'm not saying every single move they're going to make is going to be a head-scratcher, but they're going to be one of those teams that signs like an Evan Turner to a four-year $50 million deal, something like that. Oh, I'm that not saying ev- AD back to Philly would be that, outrageously hilarious. That was the exact not, example not, I was not, about to bring up. I'm not saying it's going to be Evan Turner, but they're going to be they're going to make one or two of those. I guarantee you they're going to try to max out Tamar DeRozan. I mean, Brian Colangelo drafted him in Toronto. Uh, I don't know if I'll, I don't know if that'll work out, but those are the things that I definitely foresee happening right now, regardless of the drafts. Um, then again, I could see them immediately saying Jalil Okafor is. The most proven, uh, like skill set of our three big guys. Let's trade New Orleans and Embiid right now. Like that wouldn't surprise me either. Even though I think Okafor is the least congruent of the three guys in the current NBA, I can see two guys who made their bones in the league ten years ago totally thinking that. So, which would be the worst be outcome very, for the team, right? Yeah, in my opinion, I, I, I think Joel Embiid has a chance, still has a chance to be a generational talent. I was telling you last night, Jared, I think he, when healthy, is Carl Towns in Andre Drummond's body, which is a nightmare for opponents. So, and I think I said Akeem Olajuwon in David Robinson's body. So, I mean, it's a pretty good player, right? Yeah, it's a guy you'd kind of want on your team if he was, uh, was that good. It's pretty funny to me how the Sixers went from – being the team that you'd expect to pounce on another team when there's chaos in the front office and trade for a superstar when the going got rough. So now they're probably one of those teams where other teams are going to start calling them to try to steal one of their potential superstars for below the dollar value. Ultimately, is this a uh, – sorry to cut you off again. I like doing that. No, it's fine. I'm just going to say it's 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 pretty astounding. Ultimately, is this just an indictment of the NBA lottery system? They created a system where uh, it was more advantageous for a team to lose and try to increase their draft odds. So Sam Hinkie went ahead and did that to the nth degree. He didn't bother trying to bring in a veteran. Like, he wasn't going to half-step this one. If he was going to tank, he was going to tank to the best of his abilities. And then the NBA owners kind of get angry and bring in Adam Silver to bring in a new person that in Colangelo, isn't that just a reflection of their bad system and someone trying to take advantage of it? They're just kind of punishing the someone for like working by the rules that they themselves have created. Well, that, that brings up my counterpoint to people saying the lottery needs to be fixed. I think the Sixers' failure in the lottery proves the system is pretty perfect how it is. I mean, there's been no team in NBA history to aggressively pursue the lottery as to, to, to the nth degree, like you said, as the Sixers did, and they still didn't come up with the number one overall pick. 
either either the last two years. They have a uh, more likely than not chance of that not happening this year as well. End up with Wiggins and Carl Towns. I think he's probably still there. Jerry Colangelo probably is not in Philadelphia. But the ping pong balls didn't bounce their way. Even after all the manipulation, after all the aggression and the radical tactics that the Sixers employed, they still came up empty-handed virtually outside of maybe Embiid. And Embiid, and Embiid has been injured for a couple of years, so they still haven't, with all those picks, haven't come out with a guy that they can clearly rely on as their franchise but, corner. Yeah, right I, th- now. I think that goes to show that the lottery system is pretty is pretty solid right now. But we just said like seven minutes ago that they could end up adding Brandon Ingram and Buddy Heald are two top-tier players to this team and all the two guards or wings, and all of a sudden, with everyone coming back, they could be an elite talent. So just because – and also in those first two seasons – they didn't have the worst record, so they didn't have the highest chance of the lottery. The way that strategy works is that eventually you're going to have to keep waiting it out, and I guess that's the, the disincentive to the league to argue against my own point is for to change anything because eventually you're going to have to make money and eventually you're going to get fired. So I basically had a whole argument with myself right there, and thank you guys for indulging me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the I show, mean, Sam. I mean, with anything in sports, you're looking for – an equal playing field, right? You're looking for... That's why everyone complains about the NBA playoffs. That's, that's the only complaint about the NBA playoffs is that every year, pretty much only three or four teams have a chance of winning a title. And on every on any given night in the NFL, you can... Um, any team can probably win. Any team in the NHL playoffs can, win, can, can, can likely have a shot at emerging as champions. With the lottery... Aside from a couple of teams with the with the deck stacked against them, anything can happen. It's so the lottery night is one of the most entertaining nights on the NBA calendar. People tune in for that for an hour when the lottery. It takes three minutes backstage to actually have the results. So I think the lottery is perfect how it is. Hinky, one of I think the biggest flaws of his process was refusing to keep on veteran players at the back of the roster. He made he made some good arguments about it, stating that every single one of these players has potential for us. And you know, frankly, Bob Covington, I'm a, I think, has been a huge find for them, and that's the kind of thing that they really needed to be able to make this really work. But there, I mean, they had Maamute there, they had Richardson there. Um, but they they didn't. You look at what Minnesota's doing now, and they were kind of in a similar, uh, I guess, not congruent, but a similar kind of situation. And they made sure that they got Andre Miller there, they got Tayshon Prince there, they got Kevin Garnett there. And you look at the impact that Kevin Garnett has had on Carl Anthony Towns, and you look at the way that Andrew Wiggins is growing very quickly now, playing next to Tayshon Prince, uh, Zach Levine even finally turning into the point guard they wanted them to, with Andre Miller helping there. Do you think that Hinky should have relented on that policy more? to try to develop the guys that he actually wants to keep long-term? I think, like, just like making a ruling on it, if he was successful or not, I think that question is still up in the air because, to me, the biggest argument against that, against what Hinky did, is that you need those veterans in the locker room to help instill a, a winning mindset and, and prevent all this losing from poisoning your, poisoning your players to be okay with losing. And I, I don't think we'll have that answer for years to come until, like, next year, if the Sixers, 
if Embiid's healthy, if they get Brandon Ingram, if they get Buddy Heald at four, and they make and they 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 draft those guys, and then they get a nice free agency complement as well, and they're rolling out and Dario Saric. Uh, yeah, and Dario Saric comes over, and they're rolling out a really nice uh, point guard they got, and the, a veteran point guard they got somewhere. Um, Buddy Heald, Brandon Ingram, Maryland Noel, and Joel Embiid, and Dario Saric is your first guy off the bench. And they win- and they start off the season 20 and 10, and they're looking like a playoff team. But then they go and lose 15 out of 20 because they hit a skid and they're used to losing and they don't really give a shit. That's where you'll know if quote-unquote, wasting those roster spots on taking chances on players um, wouldn't have worked. But I, I, I think, honestly, Hinky gave so many players a chance to make it in the NBA. Forget what, what lack of veteran presence would impact, would impact on the team, on the court, on the locker room. Having the last two or three spots on your roster pretty much a revolving door gave all these guys opportunities to make the league. Tim Frazier's playing for the Pelicans right now, and he was at Portland pretty much all of last season um, after he was a Philly. He first got called up to the league with the Sixers. He had an opportunity to shine, and he signed a big contract after that. Dwayne Dedman in the first year of all this out of USC uh, signed a 10-day contract out of the D-League with Philly. They wanted to re-sign him. They lowballed him and gave him that, that pinky special, that four-year non-guaranteed deal. His agent wasn't pleased. He hit the market, and he signed a multi-year deal with Orlando Magic, and he's still playing there 15, 20 minutes a night. He's like a valuable player for that team, too. Exactly. He gave a lot of young 20, 22, 23-year-old guys opportunities to realize their dream in those last five. That's honestly one of the things that, I appreciated the most about this, just from from a people. One of his biggest criticisms is that he was too busy uh, playing the numbers game and didn't treat players as human beings. On a human level, he gave so many people, so many young players, opportunities to to make the league that otherwise wouldn't have been there. Which is, to me, I think is pretty incredible. It's like it's been like having an extra expansion team in the NBA with Philly recently because. There, there's been like 25 extra guys that have gotten 10 day deals or, or non guaranteed contracts just because of Philly rotating through so many players, as well as New Orleans right now, of course. Yeah, like I was in my New Orleans locker room last night talking to James Ennis, who went to Long Beach State. He was drafted by Miami, he played with the Heat all last year, and then kind of fell out of favor with the Heat. He was pretty much out of the league until the Pelicans brought him back. Like, that's great for him. Now he has a chance to. He, he was, he's been dunking on people uh, in the last couple of games. Like, it's a great opportunity for him to showcase that he is still has a shot at, at playing at that level in that league. It's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think Hinky definitely did wrong, but um, and could have. And to me, drafting Joel Okafor was the biggest mistake of that regime. Um, but I think leaving the back end of his bench open to rotate with young guys to take chances. I think that was smart to try to uncover some diamonds in the rough, but I also think it benefited basketball players in general. Uh, you actually just brought something up I wanted to get to. Is If they drafted Porzingis, do you think Hinky would still be there? Um, 
it's they drafted Przingis and he performed like he did, and him and Narlins fit well. Yeah, I, I think so. Didn't if, Porzingis refuse to work out for the Sixers because of like kind of the losing losing culture, and he didn't want to go there? That is what's been reported. Yeah, and I know some people at the agency. And I can say that they they weren't. I mean, that's Maryland's the wealth agency too. Porzingis is the same agent as Maryland's. Um, they weren't necessarily excited about the losing culture. They were totally fine being in the Philly market, but they did not want to be uh, in that losing environment. And, and, and be Philly, they didn't want Porzingis to be attached to a losing brand. So and they, they, probably, being, they probably didn't want two of their uh, premier clients in the same town to monopolize. That's awesome. Yeah, town. exactly. That's, yeah, that's Christoph's marketing too. opportunity in New York is, I mean, it's global. But I mean, if Porzingis comes and he plays a stretch five, him and Nerlens look like a dream dynamic shop blocking rim protecting duo and they start off pretty decent. Yeah, I think I think they're fine, but uh if Porzingis doesn't come out well I, I mean he's obviously a very talented player. He was obviously gonna make it. But if him and Nerlens weren't a good fit and you know what? Really good players miss shots. If Porzingis wasn't hitting shots like he is like if he started the year like he has been playing down the stretch he wouldn't nearly have had the caught fire in New York like he did. If 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 the calendars were slipped around and he started to feel like that, maybe it would have been the same thing. But then there's also the rumor that I haven't been able to confirm that ownership told Hinky you have to take Oka before you can't take Brzezinkas. So who knows if that's if that was even an option? Well, ultimately, and uh, we'll get you out of here on this last question. Kind of with the, your talk about uh, Porzingis not wanting to go there because of a losing culture, and it's another reason why they would probably have trouble attracting free agents and um, kind of m- might stunt the development of the young stars they do have. Do you think that the firing of Hinky was inevitable because he was the main guy to kind of develop this culture and this commitment to the bottom? And so if you're going to spark any sort of cultural and organizational change— you're going to need to kind of move on and have some sort of larger moment where you, you're changing philosophies. So do you think just for the Sixers to move forward, they can appreciate all the work that Sam Hinkie did in kind of getting them into this position, but if they were going to move on, they'd had to let him go because he kind of just represents the, the tanking philosophy and the losing culture? I mean, they absolutely appreciate and value the stockpiled assets they have. I mean... That rings true throughout the entire organization. They know they're set up extremely well for the future. That's been the message they've been selling fans and to their ticket reps. Um, I don't. I, I don't think it comes down to the culture and the message and the motif. I think what it all came down to was somewhere along the line, Joshua Harris and David Blitzer, the majority owners of the Sixers were convinced, persuaded, or learned, or had a come-to-Jesus moment, or whatever, that Sam Hinkie was not going to be capable because of his reputation with players, um, with, with, with rival executives and with agents, that he was not going to be able to build his team into a true contender, and he was not going to be able to maximize the assets that he had collected. 
And they tried a contingency plan to get him to stick on board because they, they definitely valued what he was able to do in terms of acquiring assets and flexibility in the cap. But that was never going to work. And as maybe, maybe it was short-sighted. Maybe they didn't. Um, I, I find it hard to believe they didn't think it was eventually going to become a Hinky versus Colangelo loser leaves town situation. But hopefully that's what happened, and that's why we are having this conversation today. And it'll be very interesting to see where Hinky ends up next. All right, that is Jake Fisher. He writes for SI.com and does uh, Sixers coverage at Liberty Ballers. Jake, thanks for joining us. I believe your Twitter handle is Jake L. Fisher, and if people have clicked on this link, they should be able to find you there. Too kind. Too kind. Big thanks to Jake Fisher for joining us. That was some illuminating discussion. I think we hit it from every single angle. Um, that'll be the Whoa! Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Sam Hinky, if you want to come on the pod and defend yourself against any of the allegations made... Welcome to join. Yeah, we do know your Twitter handle now. Um, my Twitter handle, personally, is at Sam Packard NBA. You can follow me there for random musings, mostly about the Celtics, but also about uh, life um, and early 90s hip-hop. And my Twitter handle is at Sam... No, my Twitter handle is at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. I also recently locked up Jared Weiss NBA and tweeted out, please do not follow that account. Follow and it and tweet at him there. I think I have like 100 followers now on that account, even though I, I had to lock it down at some point. Just wanted to have the account just to have it. I would say highly suggest you follow him there and you tweet at him there just because I got a notification on my phone saying he had joined Twitter. And that was minorly, uh, I don't want to say annoying, but it was a, a thing I noticed. So now I'm going to keep uh, adding you at Jared Weiss NBA. Sorry to ruin everyone's life. All right, that's going to do it for us. You know where to find us, iTunes, Stitcher, CLNS Radio app. We'll see you next week with our, actually, I guess it's our first postseason podcast of the year. Uh, and we're going to have a very, very, very special guest for that one. It's Chris Forsberg. No, it's actually not, but we should probably have Chris Forsberg. That's going to do it for the show. Peace out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.